All right. Well, uh, welcome to All Nations and Happy New Year. Thank you guys for joining us for the first Sunday of 2019. And uh, if this is your first time or you're just kind of like coming back to church, uh, it's awesome. You're off to a great start, one for one, 100% attendance. And uh, yeah, really, really exciting. And um, also, it's a great Sunday to be here for the first time because we're starting a new series called Encountering Jesus, Encountering Jesus. And it's going to be a nine-week journey through the Gospel of John. And we're going to highlight some amazing stories where people meet Jesus, where they are, whether they're in sickness, uh, whether they are in sin or wandering, different states of life, people are meeting and encountering Jesus and they're experiencing the good news of Jesus, the power of his presence, and they're being transformed. And so I'm really excited about this series, and it's my prayer that as we go through the series, that we would not only learn about different stories of other people's encounters with Jesus, uh, my prayer is that we ourselves, that we would meet Jesus, that we would draw closer to him, that we would experience him in all that he is and all that he offers us in grace and in truth. Well, as we start off our series, uh, we're going to be looking uh, at John chapter 1, and we're going to look at the story of John the Baptist. So if you have your Bibles, would you please turn to John chapter 1, verse 29 uh, to 34. John chapter 1, verses 29 to 34. Uh, it's also going to go up on the screen, and I'll be reading from the ESV. May God bless the reading of his perfect and sufficient word. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. Amen. The word of the Lord. Now, if you're not familiar with uh, John the Baptist, he's a very, very important uh, character, very, very important person in the Gospels. He was a prophet. And he was preaching and baptizing in the wilderness, in Israel. Right? He's known kind of like as this like kind of rugged man. Uh, he would eat honey and locusts, and people were flocking to him. Uh, John the Baptist was considered a forerunner for Jesus. He was born just six months earlier before Jesus was. And his mission, his calling, was to prepare the way of the Lord to prepare the way of the Lord. And in our passage today, we have this like incredible encounter between John and Jesus. And not only do we see this encounter between them, uh, we also hear of John's amazing response to Jesus. As we look at our passage today, I want to ask three questions that shape the sermon. Okay, three questions for the, I think like 2% of note takers that we have. Uh, the first question is this. First, what do we see when we see Jesus? Okay, what do we see when we see Jesus? I want to look at what John sees. What does John see when he sees Jesus? Second question is this, what happens to us when we see Jesus? Okay, what happens to us when we see Jesus? And finally, uh, how do we respond? Okay, what must we do after we have seen Jesus? When we have seen Jesus, what must we do? Now, uh, living in LA, it's always interesting and fun 
to see famous celebrities or athletes. I'm sure if we kind of took five minutes and walked around or just asked each other, hey, who have you seen? What famous people and, and where and things like that, it'd be, you know, a nice little icebreaker. Uh, I personally have seen Colin Farrell, even though he's not that famous anymore. Uh, but Colin Farrell, I saw him at Pete's Coffee in Larchmont. He was just finishing like a yoga class. And I kind of did a double take and I was sitting next to him just watching him. And uh, honestly, a little unimpressed, a little unimpressed. Um, then my wife and I, we were having lunch in Pasadena, and we saw John C. Riley. John C. Riley. if you don't know who that is, that's uh, Will Ferrell's stepbrother, right? In Stepbrothers, or their homies, or he was also in Talladega Nights. And so funny guy, and so we're eating lunch there, and I see him, and I just wasn't sure. And I was so not smooth about it. I was like looking at him, and I pulled out my phone, and I'm scrolling and searching, and he sees me peripherally and acting like he doesn't see me. Um, anyways, and I wanted to say hi, but I didn't, and you know, missed that opportunity. Um, and then I actually uh, saw Chris Paul, basketball player. Chris Paul, when he was playing for the Clippers at a golf course. Uh, Chris Paul at a golf course, so that was really cool. Chris Paul looked shorter than I expected. Um, Colin Farrell was looking pretty grungy, and like I shared, unimpressive. And then uh, John C. Riley, well, he looked kind of lonely. Like, have you ever met a seen a celebrity who everyone knows is there, but nobody says anything? It's, and nobody takes a picture with him or asks for an autograph, and so it's really awkward. And I was like, oh, so lonely. Um, the most famous person... I recently saw it was uh, Rob Lowe at a Dodgers game. I have a friend who used to work for the Dodgers, and so he hooked us up with these like VIP passes. So my wife, Alice, and I, we went with uh, Pastor DC and Jane. We got these great seats. And so for these VIPs, you enter into a, through a special gateway. I don't have to wait in line or anything like that. And then there's a special VIP bathroom, right, VIP bathroom. So I'm in the VIP bathroom, and I saw Rob Lowe in the bathroom. And I was like, oh, my God, what do I do? I wanted to say hi, but it's weird, okay, because I'm a big Parks and Rec fan. And then I was like, oh, man, I really want to Instagram him. But it's the bathroom, right? So inappropriate. And then, because it's a VIP bathroom, there's a security guard in there, right? And so the security guard was watching me watch him. So uh, I didn't do anything. I just played it cool, and I was like, you know, walked out. But right when I got back, I was like, Alice, DC, Jane, I saw Rob Lowe, and he's beautiful, he, he was, he was, he's a beautiful man, like in person. So that was, that was really, that was my response. And I had seen, uh, yeah, uh, him this past year. Well, in our passage, weird transition, in our passage, John the Baptist, he sees Jesus. In our passage, we don't have this like, uh, like conversation between Jesus and John. Jesus doesn't heal John in any miraculous way. He's gonna heal others and we're gonna look at those stories. But here we have John seeing Jesus. And what we observe is John's reaction. He has a huge reaction of his own. So you see, John's ministry has been all about Jesus. It's been all about the coming Messiah. He is the forerunner. He is to prepare the way. He's been preaching for Israel to repent of their sins, to realize the kingdom of God is coming. And in, line of this, in light of this repentance, in light of the holiness of God and the kingdom of God, People have been coming to him to be baptized in the Jordan River, but it's not about him. It's not about his ministry. It's about the ministry of the coming Messiah. What an awesome thing it must have been for John the Baptist to see the person with his own eyes that he's been waiting for his entire life. To bear witness 
to the Messiah that he had been preaching about, talking about, proclaiming day after day, week after week, month after month to the people of Israel to see the person he had been hoping for, not only for himself, not only for his people, but for the world. And when John the Baptist sees Jesus, he declares, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And in this one declaration, we have the essence of the gospel, the essence of the good news of Jesus Christ. It's one of the truest, one of the most succinct and profound statements that we can make about Jesus. For in it, we have a declaration of who he truly is and what he has come to accomplish for us. What does it mean for Jesus to be the Lamb of God? What does it mean for Jesus to be the Lamb of God? It's a theologically rich statement. It's a reference back to the Old Testament that goes back to Genesis, Exodus, and the prophets. You see, in Genesis 22, God called Abraham to offer his son as a sacrifice. His beloved son, his true son, Isaac, this son that he has been waiting for his entire life. His wife had been barren, Sarah, for so many years. They've been trying for so long. Finally, God opens a room, gives him Isaac, and God tests Abraham's faith. He says, you take Isaac up to the mountain and sacrifice him. You know what Abraham does? He obeys. He obeys. He takes his son. They saddle up the donkey. They put wood on the back of the animal. And they have all the preparations. And they're making their way up the mountain. And Isaac's like, I know what an offering is. I've seen my dad make sacrifices. I know it entails fire. But he says, Dad, where is the animal for the burnt offering? Right? We have all of the supplies. We don't have the animal. Not knowing that he is the animal. He's about to be sacrificed. You know what Abraham says? Abraham believed that God himself would provide a lamb. He said that to his son. He says, God will provide a lamb for the burnt offering. And God did. As Abraham's raising his knife to sacrifice his son in obedience and faith to God, God says, stop. Now I know you truly believe. Now I know you will obey. I know that you will not withhold anything from me if you won't even withhold your beloved son. Because God provided in that moment. In the Exodus, the night before God's people were exiled from slavery, the night before they, they were able to run away and be liberated from Egypt, the families of Israel, they were passed over by the angel of death as they sacrificed a lamb. And as they took the blood of the lamb, they painted it over their doorposts. That's why the, the Jewish holiday is Passover. That's why it was so important to the Hebrew people. Because on that night, the blood of the lamb spared the firstborn sons of every household. That's Passover. And the prophet Isaiah, he talks about this lamb. This lamb of God in chapter 53. Beautiful words. This is what he writes. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. This theme 
the Lamb of God. It echoes all throughout the Old Testament. And this important, beautiful motif, this message is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Jesus is the Lamb of God who took our place at the altar of God as he shed his blood to spare us from death, as he died on the cross to deliver us from slavery, as he took our sins upon himself and atoned for all of our trespasses, all of our wandering. Jesus is the Lamb of God. He is fulfilling all of these promises, all of these prophecies for the people of God. John sees Jesus and he says, behold the Lamb. Brothers and sisters, when you see Jesus, what do you see? John saw the Lamb of God. When you see Jesus, do you just imagine a good moral teacher? Do you imagine just like a carpenter? Do you imagine just an example? Is Jesus just a good example for you? You and your children and your family to follow? Or do you see Jesus as the Lamb of God who was slain for your sins? Now, there may be some of you here today who um, you'd say, you know what, I, I don't see Jesus as all, at all. You know, you're not sure about who Jesus is. Perhaps you're agnostic towards him. You don't see anything, you don't feel anything when it comes to Jesus. And first of all, I want to say this. Thank you for being here. Thank you for being here. It's not easy for somebody who doesn't like, you know, affiliate or consider themselves like a Christian to still come. You know, maybe you were invited by a friend or a family member. Thank you for coming and for being open to learn, to hear about what God and the Bible has to say about life and salvation and Jesus. So I, I really appreciate that, and, and I hope that you guys, yeah, feel comfortable and welcomed by our family. Let me ask a different question then. Not what do you see when you, see, when you think about Jesus, or see Jesus, but it's what do you think about Jesus? What do you then believe about him? If you're agnostic or maybe you consider yourself an atheist, then what do you believe about Jesus? Is he just a fictional character to you, no different than Santa Claus or the tooth fairy? I hope you're not offended by this, but I'm gonna say if you don't believe that Jesus was a real person, you're not actually making an intellectually responsible conclusion. You don't have to believe. You may not believe that Jesus is God, you may not believe that he walked on water. You may not believe that he rose from the dead three days ago, but you cannot believe that he didn't exist. Jesus was a historical figure. He was a real person who lived in Palestine 2,000 years ago. And, and we need to realize that Jesus and the disciples, they're not the same as the Greek mythology. It's not like Hercules. It's not like Zeus and Hera and all of that like kind of like those are true myths made by the Greeks, right? No, the major world religions of today, they are founded by historical, real people. Buddhism. Buddhism was started by a man named Siddhartha Gautama in India in 500 BC, a real person. Muhammad was from Mecca in the 5th century. He founded Islam real person. Joseph Smith founded Mormonism in the 1800s. The question is not whether these men existed, okay? The question is, were they right? Were they truth tellers, okay? Should we follow them? Does that, does that make sense? And I think too many people in our culture today, you just don't believe in Jesus because you don't believe in Jesus. 
Like you don't believe in ghosts, right? But that's not intellectually responsible to, re- to reject Jesus because you don't believe that he existed. That's, that's untenable. Not even atheist, unbelieving, secular professors believe that. It's like refusing to believe in Genghis Khan because we don't know where his tomb is, right? No, the, Genghis Khan was a real person, Mongol, like Mongolian like warlord, right? Historical figure. Jesus was a real person. You can't deny his existence, okay? What we must do is question his significance, okay? The question is not, did he exist? The question is, was he really the son of God? If he was the son of God, is he able to forgive us of our sins? Did he die on the cross? Did he really rise again? We need to really consider what Jesus claimed himself to be. We also need to consider the eyewitness accounts. What does John the Baptist say about Jesus? What did his 12 disciples say about Jesus and the different eyewitnesses? And we have to ask, why did these men and women suffer and die believing that Jesus was not just a good teacher, a great speaker or religious leader, but he was the son of God who never sinned and rose from the dead three days later? Why did they die for this message and truth? We have to consider not his existence, but his significance. Would you do that with me today? Would you do that with me today? I'm going to pause there. Uh, I don't want to turn this into a philosophy or a history lesson. And so we're going to move into our next question. But the question was first this. What do you see when you see Jesus? What do you see? John saw the Lamb of God. May we do the same. What happens to us when we see Jesus? After John sees Jesus and makes his declaration, John then makes a declaration about himself. Seeing Jesus allowed him to see himself in a different manner. Look at what John says in verses 30 and 31. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. When we see Jesus for who he truly is, then we can begin to see ourselves as we truly are. John is saying that Jesus is greater, that I am lesser. John is saying that, that, yes, you guys think I'm great. You guys think I'm a mighty prophet of God. But you know what? Jesus, this man, he ranks above me because he was before me. He recognized who Jesus was as the son of God, the eternal, infinite son of God. John Elsewhere, he talks about Jesus. He says, man, Jesus is so great. He's so magnificent. I don't even deserve to untie the straps of his sandal. For John, when he sees the Holy Son of God, his response is sheer humility. Sheer humility. It's the truest kind of self-awareness that we need when we we come before the presence of Jesus. Commenting on this passage, the great reformer, John Calvin, he wrote this. He says, the time was now at hand when Christ would put an end to John's ministry. As when the sun is risen, the dawn suddenly disappears. And I thought that was a beautiful and devastating quote. Think about that. The arrival of Jesus put an end to John's ministry. Not because John's ministry was false. Not because it was kind of like floundering, right? And getting no traction, but because his ministry was fulfilled. 
His ministry was fulfilled. Jesus came. His time to minister, his time to usher in the kingdom of God had come, and John's time had come to an end. And to highlight this reality, in the very next passage for us, uh, the very next day, John is with two of his disciples. Okay? He is the master. He's the rabbi. He's the prophet. He has two disciples, and he's with them. And he sees Jesus again. And John says the same thing. He says, behold the Lamb of God. Behold the Lamb of God. And then guess what happens? His two disciples, look at John. They look at Jesus, and they leave John to follow Jesus. That's crazy. One of those disciples was Andrew, the brother of, of Peter. John gladly let them go, though. He gladly let them go. Friends, we have to pause. We have to think about that. The beginning of Jesus' ministry marked the end of his. In a very worldly, in a very pragmatic sense, John lost out to Jesus. He lost out to a greater teacher, a greater rabbi, a greater leader, a greater master. John, and, and like I shared, John was not this like meddling nobody. This was when John was at the height of his fame, the height of his ministry. He was getting so much traction that the leaders in Jerusalem, they sent a delegation to go and see what he was all about. Like, what is the fuss? What is all the ruckus? Why are people coming from all, the, all over Israel to John the Baptist to hear him preach and be baptized in the Jordan? He was garnering fame, recognition. He had disciples following him. At the height of his influence and power, John stepped back. He decreased so that Jesus would increase. He let his own disciples follow another master, a greater master. Guys, if I'm honest with you, I don't know if I could do that. I don't know how well that would sit with me. If you came up to me after today's service and said, Pastor Mike, I, um, I appreciated my time here, but there's a new pastor at a new church down the street, and uh, we're going to go there. He's just a better preacher than you, tells more jokes, a little taller, and we like tall guys, and... <laughs> All of that stuff. And I'd be like, no, oh, oh. And then if I heard him preach and he is better, I'm like, oh, shoot, I mean, okay, right? Or if you guys are like, you know, a better worship team, and that'll break dad's heart. You know, oh, there's another church with a more dynamic missions ministry, and, and we want to serve there. We're tired of going to Kyrgyzstan. We want to go to China, India, and something like that. And, you know, like, uh, we would wrestle with that. Our pride would be hurt. Man, if my pastoral staff, if D.C., Pastor Paul, Hannah, uh, Dag, if they were like, hey, Pastor Mike, it's been good. You've been a great lead pastor. But there's a new pastor that's come, and he's just a better visionary. He's a more dynamic leader. We're going to join his team. I'd be wrecked. I'd be so insecure. I'd be so bitter, right? I, I honestly would. But John, he let it all go. He let it all go because his ministry was not about himself. It was not about his fame. It was not about his recognition. It was about the Christ, the Messiah. The reason why he baptized, why was John, John the Baptist? It wasn't this great way to brand himself, right? It was a great brand. He's, he's the only John the Baptist, right? You say that, you know exactly who we're talking about, right? Great. It wasn't to brand himself. He says, why? Why did he baptize with water? He says, to reveal Christ to God's people. He wanted to show Israel who the Messiah was, that he was holy, that sin must be dealt with, 
that we must repent of our sin, that we need to be purified of our sins. That's why he was John the Baptist, to make much of the Messiah. Brothers and sisters, the same thing should happen to us when we see Jesus. It should lead us to an end of ourselves. When we see and behold the Lamb of God, it should stir in us a deep sense of personal humility, personal sacrifice. We should be willing to to lay down our lives, lay down our crowns, lay down our comforts, lay down our privileges. Guys, right now in our generation, there's a problem with entitlement. We feel entitled to things. We feel entitled to, to more money, opportunities, respect, right? recognition, comfort, privilege. Entitlement is a huge problem for our generation. You know what, though? Entitlement is the antithesis of discipleship. To follow Jesus is not the pathway of privilege and power. Right? We follow Jesus through service and humility and sacrifice. Like John, our lives should be clothed in humility because we've seen Jesus. We know how worthy and beautiful and wondrous he is. As we see Jesus, we shouldn't go up, we should go down and realize we don't deserve to untie the straps of his sandals. The more we see of Jesus' beauty and glory, the more we should become humble, the more lowly and meek we should become. That's what should happen when you and I see Jesus. Our hearts should swell with this desire to make much of him and less of ourselves. Brothers and sisters, as you've been walking with the Lord, maybe it's been one year, five, 10, 20 years, as you've learned more about Jesus in Bible studies and through sermons and as we've learned new, awesome, epic, beautiful, true songs to sing to Jesus, question is this, have you become more humble or have you become more prideful? As you've learned more about Jesus, have you become more sacrificial or have you become more selfish in your aging and in your life development? May it be that we grow not only in the knowledge of Christ, but may we grow in humility and grace and service. This leads us into our final question. What do we do then? Okay. What do we do when we have seen Jesus? How do we respond besides humility? Right? The answer is found in the final two verses in our passage today. Verse 32, and John bore witness. I saw the spirit descend from heaven like a dove and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and bore witness that this is the Son of God. What must we do when we see Jesus? The answer is this. We must bear witness to Jesus. That's how we respond. We who have seen Jesus must show Jesus. We have to begin to show Jesus to one another. Show Jesus to our family. Show Jesus to our neighbors. Show Jesus to the ends of the earth. In our passage, John tells us that God gave him a sign to be able to recognize the Messiah. 
Okay, God not only said, hey, the Messiah is going to come. You need to prophesy about him. God said, hey, I'm going to tell you how to know who the Messiah is, who the Son of God is. And God said this, John, as you're baptizing in the Jordan River, a man is going to come. And when you baptize him, it's going to be entirely different. It's going to be the most unique, the most stupendous, miraculous baptism you have ever experienced. When you baptized my son, the heavens will open. The Spirit of God will descend upon him like a dove, and it will remain on him. And when this happens, you will know that that man before you in the Jordan, he is the Messiah. He is the Son of God. That's what God revealed to John. And you know what happened? It did happen. As John was baptizing Jesus, the heavens opened. The Spirit of God descended upon him and remained on him. That promise was fulfilled. John saw that Jesus was the Son of God. And his response was, I must bear witness to Jesus then. I need to show and tell everyone I can about who Jesus is and the significance of what he is going to do, not only for me, not only for my family, but for the whole world. That statement, Jesus is the Lamb of God who will save the world from their sins, who will deliver the world from their sins. That was so important because you know what the Jews were? They were ethnocentric. The Jews were all about the Jews. They were like, you know, they were very committed to their culture. They were committed to their identity through circumcision, through obedience to the Torah, being able to trace their genealogy back to Abraham. The Jews could do that, right? They were all about ethnic Israel. And in this reminder, we see that Jesus had not just come from Israel, for Israel. He didn't just die for the families of Jewish households. He died for the sins of the whole world. And that's important for us as well. Brothers and sisters, the gospel's not just for you. It's not just for your children. It's not just for our little tribe here at All Nations. It's for the world. We must bear witness to the world, the world that needs the good news of Jesus Christ. That's what John did. His ministry pointed to Christ. His sole passion was to make Jesus known, to make him famous as the Lamb of God who would be slain for the sins of the world. It's a reminder for us. Now the question is this. Do you bear witness to Jesus? Do you bear witness? What, what would it look like for you to show Jesus, okay? To show Jesus to your families. What would you do? What would you say to bear witness to your classmates in school, your coworkers, your neighbors? How might you, how might God use you and lead you to show the world Jesus, to bear witness to the truth of who he is and what he's accomplished. Friends, you may, not, uh, you may not know it, but you preach a sermon as well. I preach sermons every week, the shorter the better, right guys? Right? But that's not the only sermon I preach. My life is a sermon. My marriage is a sermon. How I spend my time, my resources, my passions, my joys, those are all a reflection 
of who I am and what matters most to me. Your lives, you are preachers as well. And you tell your neighbors, you tell the people that you have influence around what matters most to you. You tell them what you're living for. Don't you guys know? You guys could describe your friends, right? You could describe your parents, your spouses. If you said, hey, what matters most to them? Some might say looks, right? They're always at Sephora, always going K-beauty, always wearing a mask, whatever, right? Some might say education. All they do is study. All they do is study. Their grades, their projects, getting into grad programs, X, Y, and Z, that is the most, I mean, we know it. You can see it, right? We see that. Why? Because that's their witness. That's their message. Brothers and sisters, how are you using your witness? What are you bearing witness to? John bore witness to Jesus Christ as the Messiah. Would you do the same? Would you use your platform, your influence? Right? It might be small. Uh, I joined Twitter recently. I think I have like six followers. Right? I'm going to retweet Jesus tweets. You know, like, like it's like, but even that, I want to consider. How do I use social media not only to post like King Taco and Bulba and sushi and stuff like that? I'll do that. That's cool. But how can I even consider my voice, the things that I repost, the things that I like, the things that I watch and look at and share? How does that reflect Christ and the Lamb of God and the hope that he alone offers us? Final point is, remember this. Even though John's ministry ended, his ministry was fulfilled, okay? John's ministry ended. It came to an end because Jesus came, but he was not disappointed. He was not ashamed. He was not unsatisfied. In fact, he was fulfilled. Even to the last day of his life, he experienced the comfort of God. He was in jail, He was in jail being persecuted. He was beheaded. He was beheaded by the Jewish rulers. And in that moment, he had a moment of weakness. He was like, how do I know, Jesus, that you're really the Messiah? I'm about to die right now. And Jesus assured him. Jesus assured him. The good news is being preached. The sick are being healed. Captives are being set free. Don't lose hope. John's ministry was fulfilled because his ministry pointed to Jesus. You see, if John's life and his ministry was all about him dying in jail and being beheaded, that's a bad way to go out. That's a failure. But because his ministry was about Jesus and the Messiah, his faith became sight. All that he was hoping for, all that he was living into, that became fulfilled. That was a reality. because It was anchored in Jesus Christ. His matchless and perfect work, brothers and sisters, as you and I not only learn more about Jesus at church and in Bible studies and and, and in our own time, as we not only experience more of his goodness in our lives and in our souls, I want you to believe that if you would lay down your life for the sake of the gospel, that if you would make your life not about yourself, not about your comforts, not about your honors, not about your privileges, but if you'd make it about Christ, you will be fulfilled. 
You will be satisfied. You will not be put to shame. You've probably heard this quote before. Jim Elliott, famous missionary, famous martyr. He died reaching unreached people in Ecuador. And his quote was simply this. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep in order to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep in order to gain what he cannot lose. Guys, we can't take our Teslas into heaven. I can't take my golf clubs. You can't take your GPA into the kingdom of God, your bank account, your 401k, your insurance, whatever it might be, those things. As nice and as good and as, as, blessing, as blessing, blessed gifts as they might be in our lives, we cannot keep them. The only things that last are the things of God. Would you consider that? As you see Jesus, as we see Jesus, as we start this new year, would we make our lives about making much of him and stop trying to make much of ourselves? Can we be a church that stops saying, I want to be the best version of myself? That's a phrase I've, I've heard and seen creep. It's like, oh, you know, help, thank you for helping me become my best version of myself. Um, may that not be our ambition. May our ambition be to make Jesus famous to bear witness to him, to call everyone, to be whole, to see, to look at Christ, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you so much for Jesus, for in sending your Son while we were yet sinners, we have the gift, the hope, the promise of forgiveness and everlasting life. We thank you that you have extended to us such kindness, such grace. And God, I even want to thank you for your patience because so many of us have heard the gospel message week in and week out. We spend so much time in the church doing church programming and part of church events, and yet we have been so slow to obey so slow to respond, so slow to truly lay down our lives, take up our cross and follow you. I thank you that you are a God who is slow to anger and rich in love. Father, I pray that in this new year, in this upcoming year, that we would truly begin to stop living for ourselves and start living for Christ and your kingdom. Would you give us opportunities to show our friends, to show our neighbors, to show the lost the beauty of Jesus? As you have loved us, as you have touched us, God, may we bear witness to your matchless and wondrous gospel. We thank you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.